With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Tell it as a love story as it is. Quick twitch, wiry athlete. Heed those words. You are listening to the Commissioner's Office. Here's your host, the Fantasy Baseball Commissioner himself. Hello and welcome to Episode 8 of the Commissioner's Office. I'm your host and the Fantasy Baseball Commish, Nathan. You can follow me at Dynasty One Stop and find info on my commissioning service at my website that's linked on the Twitter account. I've got an exciting show for you today. As we talk to a dynamic duo a powerful pair, and a set of tenacious twins. And we'll be back to talk to them after this. Now stepping into the commissioner's office, it's a set of wonder twins whose power we have yet to ever see combined in a fantasy league. 30 rock managers, and twins who Fantrax seems convinced should always draft next to each other. First, it's Wind Expert, the Harry Giles lover and a writer at Sundog Sports and Array and AFL coverer for Prospects 1500. It's Gator Sosa. And the other Wonder Twin, it's the lawyer, the stock trader, and the Johan Rojas superfan. It's Maddie Dubs. Jake, Matt, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Nate. It's Matt. Real happy to be here. And I'm really happy that you pointed out my love for Johan Rojas. As you know, we'll get to that later. But you know, if you don't know him now, you definitely will by the end of this pod. Yeah, uh, Jake here. You know, thanks for uh, saying what's up. Uh, the Harry Giles love. I know we probably won't talk much about this in the podcast because that's basketball, but appreciate the shout out. That's my guy. Expect big things in the future. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Uh, not that I have any stock in him, but I'd be okay with it. Not yet. <laughs> I don't play fantasy baseball, but yeah, or basketball. Um, so. The first obligatory question on every episode, how did you guys get into fantasy baseball? Uh, was it at the same time or did one of you get into it first? And then obviously, uh, Jake, you do a little more on the sort of pr- producing things now side, but what was that journey like for each of you? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, growing up together, twins, very fortunate to have him, you know, we were always close and doing everything together. So we always played baseball growing up, you know, from T-ball to Little League and stuff like that. So we naturally just wandered into fantasy baseball. I mean, I remember doing some of our first drafts. We were uh, we were picking teams on, like, uh, on blog post boards, like, you know, having to write down who we wanted on <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I remember specifically, actually, one time uh, we were in Ohio visiting my grandpa, and I had to use my mom's cell phone to text my friend 
uh, telling him who to pick, and he actually picked the wrong person. So it didn't work out too well, but you know, <laughs> to show how, how far fantasy baseball in general has come. I mean, that's been a long time ago, but, you know, in general, we've just both been doing it for a really long time. And I guess our love with baseball is kind of contouring our love of research and doing stuff like that. And it kind of just comes into fantasy baseball. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and I'll say personally, too, kind of the same, you know, chat room forum experience that Jake talked about, you know, that was really kind of the introduction to it. And also really, you know, meeting people through fantasy baseball that you don't otherwise know, but kind of building a little community. And, you know, we'll kind of get to that uh, when we talk about what the fantasy baseball community is like on Twitter today. But I, I think kind of how fantasy baseball started for me was like Jake said, we've always been really interested in baseball, you know, playing, watching, all that kind of stuff. But fantasy baseball originally to me just it seemed too much like a commitment you know fantasy football was once or twice every week and it was a little bit easier to follow along you know i used to do espn leagues pretty much every year but i never really took them too seriously and it wasn't too a, a few years ago one, one of our friends set up a league on fan tracks i mean it's a keeper league and it had salaries and contracts and you know th that was something that you know really made me more interested in fantasy baseball in terms of actually you know feeling like a GM and managing teams and stuff like that and you know it wasn't really till like I said you know I started a little bit more on Twitter and and Jake got a bit more involved in the industry so I had some opportunities to do some different mocks and stuff like that and you know some of the mocks during the pandemic especially ones that that you hosted you know it felt like that you know there was a mock or, or a draft going on all the time and that really <laughs> helped pass the time during the pandemic which is really cool but also you know, that, that helped me kind of get more interested in it. And then Corona League, you know, which you hosted was one of the ones that really started to get, you know, my interest for, for Dynasty Baseball. And then again, with some of the 30 team leagues we've done, it, it's a really, a really cool new perspective on how you can play fantasy baseball, uh, really feel like you're managing a team and, and get involved with the deep prospect side of it too. I'm actually on deck in the mock that we're in right now, your mock. So who knows, maybe while we're on, I'll make a little pick. See what happens. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I did not. Was Corona the first league we were in together? I was trying to remember the first time we were actually played together. So, are you in the Blockbuster Dynasty League that somebody started a couple of off seasons ago? No. Okay. Well, then maybe. Honestly, I feel like I'm juggling so many leagues at this point. <laughs> That's the first one that you set up. But, um, and, and, you know, for me personally, I have to say there may have been an FSAA, you know, shout out there, league kind of. <laughs> In, in the past that we might have crossed paths, but I think definitely, you know, some of the mocks that you started to do during the, the pandemic off season and then Corona League kind of getting into that. And, you know, that was one of the first really deep leagues that I had done in a while. So that, that draft took a really long time. And then I think after that, um, it, it really helped my appetite to want to get more involved in those kind of deep uh, ongoing dynasty keeper leagues. Yeah, shout um, out AA Tom. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah and now you guys are both in 230 teamers which we will get to so deep That's indeed a lot of fun um yeah it's interesting that you bring up the twitter relationships i feel like that's a reoccurring theme on the show it's just everyone talks about that and, and i always appreciated that about fantasy because most of the guys i play with actually all of the guys i play with i don't think i've ever met in person and so it is kind of cool how this can just build those relationships without um, having sort of the geographic closeness. Yeah, you know, I think that's absolutely right. And kind of just to echo something that I know uh, Mags and Ben Wilson said on one of your pods, you know, a few weeks ago, 
you know, it really is cool how a lot of, you know, not only the fan tracks guys, but also a lot of the other, you know, kind of platforms, whether it be P1500 or whatever, you know, all the guys are really, and girls are really accessible. And, you know, it's really cool that they're able to you know, share their insight the way they do. And I feel like you know, it has brought a lot of us closer and, you know, people that we've never met and just, you know, being in the mocks that you've hosted you know, with some people that I feel like they're in every single draft that I'm in. And it's really cool to kind of, you know, get a sense of their draft style and the players they like and whether it's talking trades or just generally talking during drafts with them. Uh, you know, it, it's really cool connecting with some of these people that you wouldn't have. And like I said, you know, my, Jake being, you know, industry as it is, it, it's really cool to also get his perspective of it. And, you know, to see some of the, the different mock and, and draft opportunities that not only he has, but, you know, someone like me who, who just is, is able to participate in some of like that, uh, you know, some of the drafts and leagues with the industry people is pretty cool. Yeah. So, Jake, how did you get into the industry stuff? When did that happen when did you start writing for 1500 and doing that kind of stuff yeah so that was a couple of years ago i always followed prospects 1500 because they're always pumping out good content i mean i got into drafts and stuff like that before i was actually you know producing content so i was always using their stuff i think it was i saw there was a twitter opening for the Rays job i mean i'm a yankees fan but you know i, I couldn't turn that down i fully understand that the Rays have the best system in baseball i'll pump it right now our uh, 2021 top 50 written by me and Bailey is actually coming out this Friday. So keep tabs on that. But it was kind of an opportunity, you know, it was something I was looking to get into when I saw the Rays was that specific position. Uh, you know, it definitely piqued my interest. I reached out to Scott Green, who's been more than gracious to give me plenty of opportunities throughout this time. And, you know, kind of just taking it from there, just like putting out Rays stuff, being able to, you know, do a lot of the deep dynasty stuff that they do in terms of just overall prospect rankings. I feel like it's really helped me like sharpen my knife, you know, my tool in terms of that stuff. But at the same time, it's so much material for each individual team and, you know, really helping me learn a lot. And, you know, hopefully I'm helping people do the same through that. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Uh, so you guys are in both of the 30 teamers that I run. And so we'll get into both of those leagues a little bit. Um, people who listen know the settings at least of 30 rock and the general idea of 30 for 30. Um, but is there anything in like specifically that you change when you're approaching a 30 teamer? Are there things you learned through drafting and managing the first season of 30 rock that you took into your 30 for 30 draft? Uh, anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> to start, I think that both uh, myself and Matt probably drafted our teams a little bit differently in 30 for 30 so that we would have more active players I think when we did that first, uh, you know, 30 team draft, I know, I think we had done a mock prior. So it was like, you know, that was some good experience there, but just very infatuated with taking very, you know, high upside prospects and not early, but even like in terms of the middle depth rounds of the drafts, kind of taking prospects where, as you see throughout 30 Rock this season, it's very helpful to have those people on your bench or active roster. You know, you'll mm -hmm. be in a waiver bid for uh, a backup catcher per se, which, uh, I did a couple of times. So, you know, in th when I drafted 30 for 30, it's like, I, I feel like maybe Matt can chime on this a, both a bit too. Like my first pick was Kelnick in 30 for 30. So I definitely took a slightly younger approach. You know, I expect him up soon, maybe even beginning of the year. Let's not get crazy. But, you know, <laughs> I think that uh, it, it definitely changed your perspective when you, when you manage a 30 team dynasty for a full year, you get the opportunity to do another one. You learn a bit. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, just a kind of funny story that happened during the 30 for 30 draft. 
I, I had just pulled up in my car. You know, I was getting to my house and I was on deck. Um, and we were getting to the point in the draft that I felt like, like Jake said, after doing the first 30, man, you really wanted to have some of these people that had multiple positional versatility and someone that, you know, even if they weren't necessarily a star in your lineup, they were someone that you can plug and play and really give you the at-bats at different positions where you needed it. And I'll never forget, Pat Valika got picked. And I've, I've never been so upset to see Pat Valika get picked in the league. And it, <laughs> it was a visceral reaction. It was ugly. You've never seen it before. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a big Pat Valika fan and nothing like that. But, you know, that, that positional versatility uh, at some point in a 30-man league like that is really important. And it, I don't want anyone to get this wrong. I'm not plugging Pat Valika. I'm not saying that he's a sleeper or a breakout. I just think <laughs> when you're getting to some of these leagues that have, you know, what feels like 1,500, 2,000 picks, I mean, I remember in the first season of 30 Rock, which was a lot, a lot of fun, you know, my first season doing something like that. There were points where I was picking up guys on the waiver. I mean, Rob Refsnyder, Christian Cologne, Logan Forsyth. I mean, guys that I really had no interest in rostering, but, you know, they, they had first and second base eligibility or they played shortstop. And you know what? They were playing every third day. And given the, you know, the structure of injuries during the pandemic and how hard it was to really find an active at-bats on the waiver wire, I mean, those are the kind of guys where, you know, I was actually, and I have to, this is the point where I need to give Francisco Cervelli some love because, you know, I, the man retired, so I can't pick him in any redrafts this year, but he really held it down for me at certain points um, when I didn't have any catchers. And I mean, something like that in a 30-man league, it, it, it's big. And like I said, getting those at-bats from Christian Colon and, and Ref Snyder, I mean, there was a, a point in time where, like Jack said, I, I really hadn't drafted as much win now as, again, when we get to 30 for 30 as I did there, but having some of those guys just to get those at bats when you had injuries, uh, it, it's really, really important. And I mean, in 30 Rock itself, just to kind of take a step back, which was the first 30 man league I did, I really liked my start with Trey Turner, Aaron Judge, uh, Clayton Kershaw and Blackman, because I felt like I really, you know, had a chance to, um, to, you know, lock down a few of those tools. But I think also at that time, you know, later in the draft, like Jake said, when you want to start drafting some of these younger guys, it's really important to keep your strategy and not, not, not get too excited if you're really trying to go in, in one direction. Yeah, for sure. Um, Jake, anything to add there? I mean, in terms of that, you know, again, it's like the meat and the potatoes of the draft, I think kind of changed when you get to 30, to 30 for 30 from 30, man. I mean, I was making a couple of trades last night. Uh, you know, contrary to your belief that I do not like to make trades, I do. I work a little bit better when the pressure is on. So you put a 12 o'clock deadline, you know, I make a couple of trades in uh, 24 hours. Uh, but in terms of that, I was looking for a starting pitcher towards the end of the deadline. So if you're in 30 Rock and you hear this, you know who you are. Please message me. We can get something done after the draft. <laughs> and and also in the draft. Yes, that's right. I forgot that we can do that in 30 Rock. Trades within the draft. And I made one of those uh, in, in this most recent draft, I believe that was to, or last year's draft to get Syndergaard. Definitely a game changer, but it, it kind of makes the draft, you know, you, these people kind of wait with their picks to see the best they can get. It's a little different than these normal drafts where people know who they want and they're just going to take them, you know, it kind of allows the owner to sit back on their pick a bit and see if they'll be able to get a better return through trade. Yep, for sure. It adds a very different dynamic for drafting. Um. So let's talk first, I guess, about 
30 rock where you feel your rosters are and then we can dive into how you built the new ones for 30 for 30 so um i guess jake if you want to go first how do you feel going into this year obviously we still have the first year player draft but the core of your roster you had all 55 of your keepers both of you guys did so you're not going to be adding a ton there um how do you feel going into this year yes so i gotta be honest i i think that Part of the reason why I haven't made so many trades in 30 Rock is because I'm not really pleased with the way my team turned out. I mean, I kind of started off with getting Wander at 13 overall, which, um, you know, especially last year, you could say is a reach. I mean, I, I would almost pride myself in being the Wander guy. Like I've written articles about him just covering the Rays. Like I, you know, I definitely it's a sincere enjoyment in seeing him succeed. So that was kind of a no brainer for me. I, I think that was my first share too when I got there. And my second round pick at the time, I picked uh, Julio. So, you know, Wander and Julio gives you a really young base, but I actually ended up flipping Julio during the season in a trade uh, that helped me get Bryce Harper. So, you know, having Wander, who I think is going to come up earlier mid this year, I was able to get Bryce as well as Marco Luciano in that trade. So, you know, trading Julio, but still getting another elite prospect like Luciano. I think that the prospect side is very strong. And in terms of my major league team, I think that I made some really good value picks. Uh, like Alec Bohm, I picked Randy Rosarena uh, really late. I picked Clint Frazier. I mean, I think these are a lot of people that are returning value. Like as for Randy, I got him 528th. I mean, you see he's going within the top 100 in that postseason hype that was all around him. Amazing value. Amazing. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. And, you know, just a couple of people like that. I was able to squeeze some value out of where I got Frazier. Uh, Candelario, I think, had a really good year in you know, definitely bolstered his value coming into this year. So just stuff like that. I definitely think that, you know, I'm not sure if this upcoming season is going to be my year to be towards the top, but again, with Wander, uh, with Bryce, who I still think has a lot of really good years left. I think it sets me up for the now and future pretty good. Yeah. Nice. What about you, Matt? Um, So, so as I said, I think, you know, my start at Trey Turner and judge Clayton Kershaw and Blackman kind of gave me a bit of best of both worlds and some of the tools. What I really like in this league, being that it's a three outfield league, is that my outfield is anchored by Aaron Judge and Charlie Blackman. So given that they, you know, they both stay healthy and, you know, obviously a shortened season, Charlie Blackman had a monster. Yeah, given. That's a huge given, um, especially when it comes to Judge. But both of those guys, you know, I think that's a really good anchor for my outfield. And I also wound up getting A.J. Pollock a little bit later in the draft. And, you know, a bit of a sucker for some of the good years he's had in the past. And, uh, you know, I don't think I need to continue to harp on the injury bug there. It, it's all in the same, <laughs> but, but high upside nonetheless. Um, it, just a few comments on, on that league. I mean, that league is really cool, but take, to take a step back, the trades during the draft were something that was really, really crazy. Um, and I, I've heard it mentioned on pods before, you know, about people jumping you. And I know, you know, you, you give me a hard time sometimes that I, I haven't made too many trades. And again, <laughs> I like my roster. Um, and I actually made a, a trade during the draft that involved at the time just swapping four draft picks. Um, and it's really interesting because I don't think I ever actually took a look back in that trade until a few days ago to see <laughs> those draft picks actually materialized too. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm just gonna give a quick summary of those, of, of what that trade wound up being. And, it, you know, it's kind of interesting to take a look at this. So we wound up swapping essentially, you know, my fifth, ninth, or I'm sorry, his fifth, ninth, and 12th, and 14th, and my sixth, eighth, 12th, and 14th. So it was more about me moving up to that fifth round. And, and that's where I got Royce Lewis. 
Mm. And I think that, you know, th there's a lot of upside there for him. And I, I think I kind of, you know, alluded to it before. I kind of started this team more on a win now. And then as soon as I got Royce Lewis, you know, my, my prospect fancy got a little tickled and, you know, maybe I started to go in that direction a little bit. Um, but just kind of in that trade, I, you know, I got Royce Lewis in the fifth and then I wound up getting a Rollish Chapman uh, who had a tough year for me last year, but I like him, you know, going into the future. Asan Diaz, who again, tough year for me last year, but I needed a second baseman who helped. And AJ Pollock, who I mentioned, who had a good year. And on the other side of the trade of the picks that I traded wound up being Ian Happ, Edwin Diaz, who is traded, Zach Davies and Sean Newcomb. So I think at the end of the day, you know, I wound up probably coming on top, at least for the way some of those players are going to contribute to me in the, the near term. But I think it's really cool to see, you know, how some of those large pick swaps materialize in the future. Um, and one other thing before I, I, I turn it back over, back to that positional versatility that I said I was really focusing on in 30 for 30. Um, you know, we had a really uh, unique opportunity last night. We did the keeper admin, so we had to cut our rosters down, like you mentioned. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, and I noticed that I, I didn't really have too many multi-positional guys so two guys on my team that you know I'm holding on to for dear life and I'm hoping that they can continue to at least produce is Tommy LaStella and Josh Harrison and Josh Harrison is someone that I picked late in the draft but he really got some good production for me and the multi-positional versatility was really important yeah and also in terms of the keepers uh I I know that we only had to trim a couple I ended up keeping Kyle Garlic and I saw he got claimed by the Braves today so here you go. Yeah, that was somebody I picked. You know, that just kind of kind of goes to show what kind of league this is. You know, you pick up Kyle Garlic and you just hope that he can make a roster when you decide to keep him. He gets signed by the Braves, so it's happy days. Yeah, I don't know if you guys listen to Effectively Wild, uh, but they do this like minor league free agent draft in the beginning of the offseason to try to get like the most stats from that. And I feel like in this sort of league, you're practically doing that of, well, he might see some playing time, so sure, I'll take him. But yeah, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You just you know, for some of my keepers, like I kept Nick Williams and Rob Ref Snyder, who are both respectively on their minor league teams. But hey, I'd be really happy if they get some at bats this year. And and just one other thing, you know, but before we transition, um, I did one other trade last night, you know, kind of at the eleventh hour before this keeper deadline. Um, and I want to shout out Ben Wilson for proposing this to me. I think. You know, it, and me it, and, and Jake, it appears Jake got a very similar offer, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, you know, this is for a guy that I, I really, really like, and that's Brian Buelvas of the Oakland Athletics. He's a young, he's a young outfielder, and I think the organization is really high on him, you know, kind of as an athlete, um, you know, he can hit, he's got some speed, but he's got some really good leadership qualities. 
and I wound up trading, um, you know, my third pick for Brian Buelvis in a fourth pick. And I think, you know, that kind of offer when people are looking to kind of cut people at the end with keepers, there's a good opportunity there to swoop in for someone that, you know, you might really like and, and someone else likes too, but they might not be able to keep them. And it's a good opportunity to sacrifice a draft pick. And you know, now in this deep dynasty, I have Brian Buelvis, who's a guy I'm, I'm pretty high on. Yeah, I, I think the combination of invisible hand with this with, you know, some people keeping 18 and some keeping 55 and the depth, there were so many minor moves yesterday, pick flips and fringe prospects and all of those. And it was really fun to just simply watch it unfold from a commissioning perspective and see the activity in the league. Uh, a lot of great managers in here. Yeah, and like you said, you know, the difference in keepers I know that uh, Matt and I both kept 55 players, but I actually pulled off a trade uh, with Jordan yesterday. Uh, he has very few keepers. So when I was taking a look at his team, you, you know, in terms of making a trade, uh, I feel like I have all these players and, you know, he, he was, you know, we were able to make a trade, but I wanted to add some people. I felt like I couldn't just because of the, uh, you know, the disparity in players. But in that deal, I was able to get Riley Green. Uh, I did trade my first round pick which was 118. Um, but I also traded McK uh, Tristan McKenzie, who I think could be a bit of a sell high here. Uh, mm. I do really like the talent. I mean, his frame and his history does lend to some potential, uh, you know, reliever uh, risk in the future. I do have a friend that collects his cards. So, uh, you know, by no means is me trading Tristan, uh, saying that I'm getting off the train, the Tristan train, so to speak. <laughs> but, I figured that it was a really good opportunity to pick up Riley Green, who, you know, that sweet lefty swing. Uh, he's being ranked as high as 13th overall, I think, by Prospects Live. And, uh, you know, coming into this season, I think that's that's one of the very few prospects in baseball that can be towards or at the top of lists once guys like Wander and, you know, maybe Julio graduate. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you just mentioned that trade. Um you guys have mentioned a couple times how I gave you some grief for not making too many trades. I went to pull up the trades when I was prepping for this yesterday and I was like, where, Oh my gosh, they like haven't made any, we have nothing to talk about for trades. Oh man. I like my players. What can I say, man? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so this was referenced earlier. This, the, uh, Stanton Julio Rodriguez that trade. Um, so that was last season, but wondering, let's talk about it. So that was the full trade was Stanton, Julio Rodriguez, Grayson Rodriguez for Hunter Green, Harper, and Luciano. Uh, Jake, tell us about that process, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know if I'm going to be misquoted here. I think that was with John, uh, that trade it was. I think middle of this, uh, you know, abbreviated season. Uh, but going into it, uh, I was kind of looking – uh, being that my first couple of picks, as I had mentioned, were Wander and Julio. Uh, as I was managing, I, I kind of realized that I definitely wanted a bit more major league talent. Like, you know, I had Randy who ended up popping off at the end of the season, but, you know, he was usable and he was playing and people like Clint who were just breaking out. But I was kind of lacking that big, like, major league star in offense. You know, I have Alec Bohm who I think could end up being uh, somewhat that guy. But uh, being able to trade for Bryce was definitely a priority for me when I saw his team. I knew I'd have to go up Julio and Stanton seemed to be a good fit there just because I think he had outfield eligibility at the time. I don't know if he does at this point, uh, but, you know, Julio and Stanton is definitely a good combo. And so the deal kind of started as like a Julio-Stanton 
for Bryce. And I saw you had Marco Luciano. So, you know, I figured I could ask for him being that I was trading J-Rod. Uh, it seemed like he was willing to do that. Uh, but I did add Grayson Rodriguez on my end for Hunter Green. Uh, definitely a bit higher on Grayson. I know there's a lot of people that really like him. Uh, but being able to get somebody like Hunter Green, I've always been a big fan. You know, he has that elite pedigree and uh, reports as of the last couple of days that he's touching 100 again. So I really like his opportunity to get back to where people, you know, had originally pegged him. Yeah, nice for sure. Uh, so I guess in light of the fact that neither of you make all that many trades, uh, it certainly is not an opposition to trading. Uh, I'm just curious. Some people really like to build their rosters through trading. Um, I am one of those people. Uh, it's just also different when you take over a team than if you build it from the ground up, certainly. But I'm curious, what is your general approach? Do you just like to build strong out of the draft? And then if the right trade's there, uh, scour the waiver wire, which in leagues of this depth is a little harder than some of the other ones. I guess, what's your preferred roster construction? Let's just say, assuming you drafted the team. Okay. Well, you know, so I, I kind of just like to, to build through the draft. And again, this is kind of an approach that I took more, you know, from 30 Rock to 30 for 30. In 30 Rock, I mean, it, just going through last season, we have so many players on our roster and it didn't really, it, I didn't understand how it was going to frustrate me, how many of those players didn't contribute right away when I felt like, like you said, the waivers are so shallow that you, you kind of need to have those guys that are just going to even get you at bats or fill in. So I think that's something that I focused on in the draft process for 30 for 30 is maybe I went even a little prospect lighter, but at the same time, I got some deeper MLB guys that I think are going to be able to get me at bats. And I think in, by doing that, I almost avoid the process of having to run to the waiver right away to see, you know, who are these guys that are going to be getting these lesser at bats. If you can kind of speculate during that in the draft, there's so many of these young guys with high potential that you can get to. And I, I just want to take a second to, you know, talk about the strategy for 30 men or for 30 for 30, as opposed to, to 30 rock. And I think there, I got Bryce Harper in the first round, just to kind of echo Jake. I love Bryce Harper, you know, future outfield mate with Johan Rojas, no spoiler alert that uh, makes me a little hot and bothered, but we'll get there in time, in time. Um, but also in that league, I think, you know, I got Nolan Arenado at like 43. And I think the Nolan Arenado hate has officially gone too far. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I think you know that's kind of Confirmed. being recognized. I think that's kind of being recognized by everybody. But I think you know the Colorado effect is being blown out of proportion. His age is being blown out of proportion. He's a really solid guy, and to be able to start my team with Bryce Harper and Arenado at forty three, I thought in a dynasty league that that gives me a real big edge in terms of offense. And another guy I wanted to touch on, just because I had no idea that this pick was going to be so controversial. I mean, and maybe you remember this in this draft at pick. I um, just want to get this right. At, I, I don't at 138, I think it was. I picked Starling Marte. Yeah, 138. Um, yeah, at, at 138. And, you know, I, I, I'm not the biggest Starling Marte fan in the world, but, you know, given the paucity of steals, and I thought that was a really productive player at that point. I didn't really think much of it. But uh, if you remember, it caused quite a stir in the Twitter group. <laughs> I think people were upset that they didn't pick him, honestly. But uh, it is what it is. That was really good value on him, I think. You know, you think about where he's going in redrafts and how his profile is valued. Uh, it, it's just a good value in general, especially if you are trying to build somewhat of a win now core. Yeah, and your your core here is strong. Um, just to fill in the gap between Harper and Arenado, you then got Correa at 78. I get Correa. Scherzer, if you've ever drafted with me, you know I get Correa everywhere. But that, well, that's, yeah, 
but still 78 is good value there in league this deep. And then Scherzer 103 and then Patino. And this would have been before he was traded That's at 163. Um, yeah. So you certainly have a, I wouldn't call it old roster. Some guys who are older, uh-huh. and, well, but you know, I'm happy. I'm happy you said that, <laughs> but you know, I, I think, it, you know, it's interesting. And it, I tried to do something that I think Mags had pointed out on one of your earlier pods. And that's really taking advantage of people that didn't have a really stellar, tw- a stellar 2020 season. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, those are guys who tend to be overlooked a little bit. Yeah. People are definitely overreacting to the results of 2020. I mean, I'm sure there's people that have, you know, started to touch on that and have throughout their research and projections in 2021, but I think absolutely everything in 2020, perhaps with the exception of young players getting off to a super hot start, like obviously that's not who they are, but they're going to be able to adjust. They're going to be good. You have to take 2020 stats with a grain of salt heading into next year as well as the future. Yeah. Yeah. I have noticed that especially, and we'll hit this in a minute, the, some of the TGFBI mocks we've done, some guys who were going earlier last year than this year, even though they debuted and they maybe had some hiccups, but I don't know why people are just fully out on them. So, yeah. And, um, and kind of give you an example of that. And someone that I think I got a really good value in, in 30 rock. I mean, I got Shogo Akiyama at pick 618. You know, I'm not the highest on him, but at the same time, there was a lot of hype coming into last year to see what he could do. And I think just because he didn't have such a great year last year, I think people are starting to get a little bit more down on him. Than the other was would be and you know just to put that in perspective coming into 2020 he got picked at 371 and 30 rock you know so 371 to 618 in a, a 30 team dynasty that's a really substantial difference i got clinton frazier two picks later at 373 so big shout out to me right there <laughs> perfect uh jake your approach to 30 for 30 yes yeah, so my approach to 30 for 30 again um you know, even prior to going into the draft, I always like to draft my teams a little bit younger. I tend to lean towards prospect pedigree, but at the same time, I wanted to create a team where I'd be able to have active players on the bench again. So where it's not like I'm immediately scouring the waivers for people just to fill my roster. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did start uh, with Kelnick at, I believe it was 27. Yeah. Yeah. So it was Kelnick at 27. Uh, obviously you could say, um, maybe that's not as competitive as a start, but I really think Kalnick's going to hit the ground running as early as like, you know, beginning to middle of this year. So well, if Eric's listening, you just made him happy. Oh, I hope he is. That would make my day. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So in terms of also keeping Eric happy, we went Jordan in the second round. So I got him at a pretty good value at 34, I think. Uh, yeah. Whereas only Utah eligible right now, uh, you know, there's been videos of him running the treadmill and doing like, you know, water workouts, which is great. But I think that, you know, you think about uh, eligibility in a fantasy league. Like, I don't think Jordan's going to be their everyday left fielder or outfield, but I think he'll probably get enough time uh, in there uh, to get that eligibility, especially, I think, you know, re-signing Brantley. I don't know if he's going to play the outfield every day. Uh, it's definitely a valuable commodity there. But, you know, starting Kalnick in Jordan, I definitely went younger, but I really wanted to still focus on players that are going to contribute now to soon. So. That's why like, I was able to get Joey Bart, um, Alec Bohm, two really good young players. Uh, Dalton Varsho, I was really happy I was able to get that because as I had mentioned previously in the first 30-man draft, you kind of realize, uh, even though it's one catcher, how shallow it can get when there's 30 different teams that need to start a catcher. So I thought that getting Bart and Varsho definitely gave me a bit of an advantage there. So yeah, I think you did something that a lot of people try to do in these leagues. Um, 
go young, but go now still. I mean, clinic maybe doesn't open, but he should be up this year. Jordan is still what? 23, something like that. Um, Boom. Yeah. You got Otani at 94, which this is a daily league. So if he is pitching, you get both sides of that. Um, and here's one of those guys who I think people got down on after a not great debut de- debut in Mize. Um, yeah, this is a it's kind of fun roster. Um, did you have any other things you want to say about that before we moved on? Yeah, just because you moved on to the pitching, it's funny. I didn't even – I feel like I draft Shohei everywhere. I mean, I love Shohei's Sundays. That's should be a national holiday if that comes to fruition. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I tried to draft pitching strong as well. So getting Shohei – and I know that you mentioned Maya, somebody that people are a bit down on. Uh, I'm just going to stick with it because he has been for the past year or so. I mean, he really is one of, if not my favorite pitching prospects. I mean, he obviously has that pedigree behind him. Uh, people are really high on Scooble and Manning's athleticism. So I do think Myers gets a bit overlooked there, but he might be that safe option that's, you know, just as elite as those guys. And I think that – I don't know if he's guaranteed uh, a spot in their rotation this year, but I think he'll claim that. I mean, he is that good. And uh, also to mention somebody that did struggle a bit, uh, did show some flashes is Kyle Wright. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm also really trying to draft him everywhere. You know, I really like his pedigree as well a really strong fastball. And I know he had a couple of outings that really spiked his numbers last year, but at the same time, I know in spring training, he flashed and perhaps there'll be some opportunities there for him to do some good things this year. Yeah. I also loved, you got Varsha at 214, which is lower than where he's going in most redrafts this year. So to get him young catcher, hopefully stays eligible at that position is a great value that could return a lot in this league for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I definitely hope so. And again, uh, even though it's a one-catcher league, I did draft Joey Bart too, so I'm not necessarily tied to the fact that Varsha needs to be a catcher going forward. I think that even if he ends up being uh, in the outfield, that he'll produce that speed, contact, and some power profile that will benefit regardless of the position. Right, and if they both click and both stay catcher, because there's 30 teams that need a catcher, that's some pretty good leverage in a trade if you wanted to go that route at some point too. Yeah, I hope there's 20 other nine te- 29 other teams listening to that. I know Matt. <laughs> yeah. never trade with me though. That's you know something we can touch on, but I uh, you know we can't seem to engage in trade talks because they they never really come to fruition. But it's okay. Yeah, th- there are some managers who I get along with great, but I have not made many trades with uh cubby Knowles, the first one who comes to mind we rarely trade we think about things very similarly and we rarely make a trade Shout out but, good dude yeah absolutely yeah um okay just before we move on for this uh yeah about this league i want to just give a big shout out um someone i drafted late here and you know I'm, I'm a fan of the potential but even more so i'm a fan of the story you know and that's connor joe and he's coming back you know he had um he had testicular cancer last year. He was in the Dodgers organization um, and he moved on and he was recently signed by the Rockies uh, with the minor league deal and a invite to spring training. And I think, you know, aside from the story, uh, this kid's an OBP monster. And if, if he could click on, you know, in, in, um, in 30 rock, I was kind of hoping Jonathan, Jonathan Daza was going to be the guy that, you know, eventually with all the injuries and, and the Rockies outfield, but I think if Connor Joke can stick it all, he's an OBP monster and someone to look out for if you're in one of these, you know, 30-man ridiculously deep leagues to take a flyer because, as you know, Corey's can make anyone look exponentially better anyway. Yeah, where did you get him? 
Uh, pick? I, I don't have it up now. I got him pretty late and just kind of in that area. I also got Jameson Hanna, uh, who's another icon. Just look, I got Connor Joe at pick 1,423, you know, okay. so that's very deep league type stuff. But at the same time, you know, you never know with these kind of guys. Um, he's an older guy. He's played um, in the San Francisco Giants organization. He was actually on their opening day roster a few years ago. Um, so just a name to keep an eye on. He, he's got a really good history of uh, high OBP. And if he gets some playing time in core as well, you never know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, any final thoughts before we move off of the absurdly deep dynasties? Um, I would suggest doing them if you're interested and you think that it might be too much work or, you know, it's a bit more than you've done before in um, fantasy baseball or that kind of stuff. Uh, there's only one way to really get into it. Uh, maybe do a mock first, but dive in. It's a great time. And yeah. you learn a lot, so it's fruitful. And, you know, one thing I'd say is just get your guys. You know, it's, it's a deep league. There are a lot of picks, and at the end of the day, after the draft and you have your team, you're going to, it doesn't really matter where you picked them. You're just going to want your guys on your team. And, you know, if it's through trades or through the draft, uh, it's your team, get your guys. Ditto, get your guys. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're at a turn in something like this, there's so many picks between you. You're not getting someone back. Um, I did a 30 team TDBC and I was like, maybe that guy will come back. He never came back. So take the guy you want. It's like hitting the lotto, having your guy come back in the 30, especially if you're not. <laughs> oh, man. I think it happened once and it was so amazing, but every other time he was gone. Yeah. And especially like in 30 rock where people could trade picks and you never knew if somebody wanted the same guy as you and they were just going to leapfrog in front of you and snipe them. I mean, that kind of stuff is just get your guys. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so shifting gears, we've talked a little bit in passing about the mocks we've been doing. Um, think you guys have done pretty much every tgfbi mock <laughs> that i've run um and jake you've played tgfbi before so i'm curious when you're approaching that let's just say that general format of league a 15 team kind of standard five by five roto hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at thirty thousand feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus tax day is coming oh no but if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Uh, two catchers, which... We can talk about how dumb that is if we want, or maybe you guys like two catchers. I don't know. This is Matt. I want to go on record as saying I do not like two catchers. That, that is my take on that. Want to jump in there, Jake? Uh, you know, I'm not the biggest fan, but I feel like I've done it. At, like, And I also would like to say credit for myself. I do believe I'm the only person that's been in every single one of your TGFBI mocks. So <laughs> putting the work in there. But, uh, you know, it's you, you kind of get used to the two catcher. If I'm in a dynasty, I, I don't think I want a two catcher. But something like tgfbi redraft why not let's rack them up okay <laughs> sounds good 
so do you guys have approaches um, when you're building these since we've done so many mocks? Is it a, I want two pitchers by the end of this round or I want to make sure I hit this category early? Is there something like that that uh, you go into the draft making sure you could do? Yeah, so I mean, in terms of TGFBI, I think something that's become increasingly different from a lot of leagues as it is an average league, not OBP. So that's definitely something you need to take into consideration when you are drafting your teams. Uh, it can be a little bit different. Uh, but at the same time, in a 15 team, um, you often see like maybe an ideal start would be to get like an ace in the first round, like a DeGrom or a Cole, because uh, then the bats are really deep in the second and third round. But I definitely tend to favor having an early pick where you can get a stud like Acuna, Tatis, Trout, uh, somebody like that, and then just going from there. I mean, I think if, if I'm taking a look at a team in a TGFBI, I mean, I definitely prioritize getting at least one good catcher. Uh, JT Realmuto is actually my favorite target. I think every redraft league that I do. He gets them everywhere. Oh, I try. <laughs> but, uh, he tries. So in the TGFBI draft that we're in now, I got him with the 52nd pick in the fourth round. I was able to get Cole in the first, and then I got uh, Machado in the second, Luis Robert in the third, and that opened it up for me getting Real Muto in the fourth, uh, which I also recently picked the bar show. I know we were speaking about him before, but again, I do think there is some credibility in uh, getting the advantage with uh, one or even two of the catcher spots in a league like this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You already have two catcher slots filled. Does anybody else? I got to check this. Nope. I would not expect, uh, you know, what we're we're in the twelfth round right now. I'm probably the only person that took that approach. But I even thought, you know, this, you know, Varsho having that speed at catcher. Even if I want to move him off to outfield, being if there's five outfield spots in TGFBI, could likely do that in a later round. Just pick a catcher and shift him over. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It is an interesting debate, and I've gone back and forth with this myself. With two catchers, is it better to get? one or even two elite ones and get production out of what are for everyone else, probably black holes or to just ignore them because they don't produce as much. And I think there's an argument on both sides of that. Um, This would suggest Jake that you at least go for the, get the production there because there's more depth elsewhere. But Uh, I do want to qualify that. Uh, Whereas, whereas I'm saying getting the depth there is kind of getting Real Muto, who I think should be a target for almost everybody in the early middle rounds of these kinds of drafts. But then Varsho, I think, is a bit of a unique situation because he offers that speed from the catcher spot this year. So right. I think that's slightly different. Like you're getting that additional, you're getting that additional category from the catcher's position there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Matt, any thoughts on your approach for this? Yeah, so I, I think for this, just to kind of stick with this draft where, where Jake has kind of nailed this, this two-catcher approach. I actually recently drafted Wilson Contreras at pick 137. And, you know, I'm not the biggest Wilson Contreras fan. I I think he's good. Um, But I think especially, again, valuable in a league like this where I just wanted to fill one of the catcher spots because almost like tight end in fantasy football, when I'm playing in a one-catcher league, I tend to, to, to play the waiting game, but oftentimes wait a little bit too long for my own good. So something like this with two catchers, especially I want to lock one down. Uh, something that in these leagues, I'm so used to doing these dynasty mocks and drafts that when I first started doing these, it was almost tough to reorient my my brain to deal with the redraft aspect as opposed to the dynasty. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think that's 
point and going a little older. And also with these, there are the five outfield slots, whereas a lot of the drafts, you know, especially 30, I mean, can you imagine if there were five outfield slots in 30 minutes? <laughs> oh, gosh. But, you know, something like that, trying to maybe fill my outfield slots a little bit earlier, just so, you know, I'm not slipping on some of those, those later starting slots. And one of the reasons why I like to do so many mocks, and, and this is going to sound cliche, but I like to try different strategies or at least try to try different strategies. And when I say that, uh, I tend to be hitter heavy, you know, that's spoiler alert. In general, I like to, to fill up my infield positions and outfield and stuff like that. And I would, I would like to try to use mocks as a chance to go a little bit more pitcher heavy. It doesn't tend to work that way, but when I find myself in a mock and I, I, I find that I have a, pos- a position where I can go two aces early, I like to try that just to see what the rest of my roster is going to look like and, and maybe how I would use some of those other early picks to, to go pitcher and then deal with that. So I, I appreciate that you put on so many mocks and I'm <laughs> eager to join them because it's always really cool to try out different strategies always a good time yeah for sure i also like that i do want to run one of these one time where i just go best value period and just see what happens with that roster it will look very weird be an but, interesting build for sure but you might as well with all of these mocks. yeah it's a mock the next one i do i think will be our seventh so you know we've done enough of them to you getting ready for that or what <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's my arm. It's, like ready. Uh, round 12 it's, it's only number. round 12. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Keep them coming. Uh, okay. So, great. Let's shift um, to some listener questions. But before we do, let's just take a quick break and we can come back with that. And we are back. And with that, Jake is on the clock in our mock. Who you taking? Yeah, so I'm not going to hold this up at all. I'm just going to make a quick pick. Um, so this is the 172nd pick. I'm going to go with Victor Robles here. I think that okay. he's a good amount of speed and a potential bounce-back candidate at that point. And again, in a five-outfield league, I think he could potentially uh, contribute everywhere. And that would be great, especially in an improved, improved Nationals lineup. Yeah, you've got some nice speed on this roster. Yeah, it's, it's speed a, kills. Yep, that's right. Okay, well, with that, we will actually transition off of TGFBI into some listener questions. Uh, Jake put out a tweet last night asking if anyone had any questions, and we got a couple. So let's start with the one from Yancey. Uh, he was asking about free agent pitchers that you could see the Rays taking given that they don't spend any money. What do you think? Yeah, so uh, first of all, ain't that the truth? That's kind of just become their MO. And uh, they did trade Blake Snell, so it's a big glaring hole or two in that rotation. Um, My take on it, being that I am a bit prospect-oriented, I think they have a lot up the pipeline. Uh, A couple of guys I will get into. I know that there's questions about Joe Ryan, Brent Honeywell. Those are two just to name a few, but... Again, there's a couple of elite pitching prospects. Uh, So I think that their potential best bet, being that they're not likely to spend a lot of money on somebody, um, you know, somebody that might be a bit more money, Garrett Richards, I heard was uh, maybe on the market. I don't know if they go there. Um, Uh, He's with the Sox now. He just signed with the Red Sox. Oh, really? Yep. Well, how about that? Well, Hmm. I wasn't going to discuss them anyway, but there you go. There's the land. (laughs) Uh, I do have three free agents that I think might be of particular use to the Rays. 
uh, just given their current situation. Uh, one is Taiwan Walker. Uh, he seemed to be pretty good last year, um, it, you know, an abbreviated stint after not playing for a while. Uh, definitely seems like an arm they could work with a bit and get some more juice out of. I uh, definitely think he bolstered his value again last year, so that could be a play for them. Uh, the second one could hit home for some Rays fans, uh, maybe Pirates fans as well. That would be Chris Archer. Hmm. Uh, you know, that was obviously a pretty wow. infamous trade where they got Meadows, they got Baz, and they got Glasnow. But, you know, he could be coming home to the Rays. Uh, he's somebody that didn't pitch uh, last year, but he could just fill a hole in rotation, right? He still has some of a high strikeout upside for somebody of that caliber, and he's not going to be that much money. Uh, going again with like a vet that's not going to be that much money. Uh, perhaps Cole Hamels could be somebody that they can maybe look into. I think that not only getting like a veteran arm is not going to cost them a lot, but as I had mentioned previously, I think they have a lot of really good young pitching talent in the system. I think that's almost like twofold. You know, you're going to get somebody that's going to be able to pitch. Somebody like Archer Hamels, you know, if they can stay healthy, should get you some meaningful innings, but I think it'll be more meaningful the impact they'll have on these young pitchers. And those would be free agent targets. Uh, you know, I guess they could always trade uh, the Rays. I definitely have the assets to do so. A uh, couple of pitchers that you and that people have been floating around on the trade market would be Herman Marquez. You know, if you can get him out of cores, that might be interesting. Oof. Or I've even heard uh, Tyon. You know, I heard that the hmm. Pirates uh, really have prioritized his recovery. He's even shortened his release a bit just to cause a little less stress. I mean, I think if they can get Tyon, that's a really high upside option, but I wouldn't be banking on these trades from the Rays, especially because they've done some recently. But, you, you know, maybe Walker, Archer, or even somebody like Hamels could be good enough to fill the gap until they have these younger arms come up. Yeah, do you think uh, Patino is going to see time this year in their rotation or get more seasoning all year? I am a huge Patino fan. Um, I think he's ready. I, I know that in last year's stint, he flashed some of his nasty stuff, but maybe the numbers weren't there. Uh, I do think they'll probably prioritize giving them a bit of seasoning, uh, given that their development team is so strong. I mean, that's you know evident in a lot of their pitchers, especially their relievers. Like, I'm not saying Patino is going to be a reliever. I'm, it just goes to show what they can do with some of these arms. Uh, so with somebody with that much talent, I think the Rays might want to put their little spin on him before really letting him loose in the majors. But I think once they do, he's going to be a huge problem for the American League East, the American League, and the rest of the league in general. Great. Uh, so the other two questions, you mentioned these two guys. Uh, Sean Tu, who is also in our 30-teamer, uh, was asking about Joe Ryan. And then J.R. Becks asked about Honeywell, and can he still be something? Um, so guess what do you think about those two yeah so i'm pretty high on both of these guys uh, i guess i'll start with joe ryan i think shanto's actual question is why does nobody talk about him the way they should yeah. uh, you know it's a pretty interesting question especially if you consider uh not last year obviously there wasn't a minor league season on the season prior he ranked and this is out of all minor league pitchers so i'm just going to throw some stats here he ranked first in k percentage at 38 percent First in strikeout to walk at 32.4%, and second in K per nine with 13.32. I think this is through like three leagues or something. And I mean, it's really backed up by a disappearing fastball that they call it. It's not very fast, but it's got an incredible deception to it. He throws like 75% of the time. So to kind of mention why maybe people aren't speaking about him as much, uh, especially in the pros, you see how important it is to have those developed secondary pitches. That's really going to take you over the top. Uh, given that, you know, Joe Ryan's put up these absurd numbers 
with that really, really good uh, disappearing or invisible fastball, as some should call it. I think that that definitely bodes well for him in the future, but I definitely think uh, that, you know, improving those secondaries is going to be important as he continues to get that level up in competition. Yeah, great. So uh, we are now going to transition to letting Matt just talk about Rojas. Matt, the floor is yours. Nate, I'm sorry. Do you want me to get into Brent Honeywell real quick? I just oh, can't... yes. Sorry. My I... bad. Talk I... about Honeywell. You're Matt, fine. you have to wait. I could go on and on about I... Joe Ryan, but I, I, I do I want to listen to him talk about Rays all day. So this is a, this is a treat for me. <laughs> yeah, I just want to make sure I address the Honeywell question. Don't want to leave any mouths unfed. Uh, so in terms of Honeywell, there's a lot of speculation around him. I know his most recent procedure uh, was in December, and the report is that it's not going to impact him heading into the 2021 season. Uh, I believe it was like a, it was because of elbow discomfort, the surgery. Um, and they said that it was somewhat unrelated to these other ones. I don't really know about that, to be honest, but I'm a huge Honeywell fan. Uh, it's tough to really peg where he'll end up going, uh, being that the last time he pitched in a professional game, I believe it was September of 2017. Uh, but obviously an extensive injury history. Uh, he missed the 2018 season with a torn UCL uh, after recovering from Tommy Johnny, fractured a bone in his elbow. And as I mentioned, he's also had some nerve discomfort that's caused some surgery. But, I mean, he's somebody that has a remarkable history of success in the minors. So in over 400 innings, uh, his average line is 288 ERA, 1.08 whip, and almost 10 strikeouts per nine. So uh, he's got a really diverse arsenal, fastball, uh, changeup, slider, curveball, the screwball that everybody talks about with him. You know, could really be like a plus-plus secondary. Uh, again, there's some concern. Will he stop throwing that the way he does if that's going to affect his elbow? Uh, I have a feeling with Honeywell, maybe he'll shorten up his, you know, shorten up his delivery a bit. But I think he's going to stick to what's worked with him. Uh, and if it's not going to impact him heading into the season, you could see a handful of starts from him. He'll have his innings monitored. But I'm still in on Honey Honeywell uh, until I'll, – I'll give him one more. How about that? Uh, I'll, I'll give him one more boon because I do think that he could put it together if he's healthy coming into the season. Nice. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting arms in that system, so we will see. Okay, now you have the format. All right, well, I am very excited to talk about Johan Rojas on this podcast. Uh, I think, you know, to kind of take a step back to when my love for Johan Rojas first began, you know, to tell it as a love story as it is, um, I, I think it was Corona League. Uh, and, you know, we were getting a little bit deeper. And I, like I had mentioned a bit earlier in the pod, that was one of my first experiences and you know, getting really deep with some of the prospects. So I was learning you know, a little bit about some different names and, and doing some research. And one guy I, I really you know, started to see things that I really liked from was Johan Rojas. And that was you know, both in videos and some analysis. And I think this was back in like February or March. And you know, I really took a likening to him and was looking at him. And I just think he's a guy that, that's ready to explode. And you know, everyone really needs to take notice. I, I just want to read this short, you know, it was a tweet from Prospects Live about the way that they described him. And I think it's a really accurate encapsulation of, of kind of where he is right now. And they described him as wiry, quick twitch athlete with a relaxed setup, quick hands, bat speed, and plus speed. You want to hear that? I'm sorry, this is Jake just jumping in real quick. You want to hear that about every prospect that you're scouting. Those are some golden words right there. So, you know, it's really no surprise that those are something that can really make you fall into a play. I mean, this kid, this kid is tools and barrels. 
I mean, he's got a 45 hit tool, which, you know, we're going to get to, but you pair that with 50 power, 60 run and 55 arm and field. I mean, this kid is just a little bit of tuning his hit tool away and he's going to take off. He's going to be on every prospect list. He's an energetic center fielder right now. And he had eight outfield assists in 2019. I mean, this kid has a gun and he is all barrels. Um, he could really work on, you know, taking some walks. I think he's a bit aggressive in his early pitch counts and he could work on his pitch recognition a little bit. But, you know, there's a, a few videos of him floating around, not, not as much. And again, I think you're going to see that increase in the coming years, especially this year when, you know, baseball gets back going. But you see the way this kid gets his hands around a high fastball and you just don't see that that often. And just, it's, it's really exciting to watch. And I think, you know, Phillies fans, especially, I'm going to shout out my favorite Phillies fan, Tony BPS. And, you know, I know he, he talked about him a little bit in his prospects, 1500 top 50. You guys should all check that out. Really good stuff, brother. But, um, you know, th this kid is really, really exciting. Um, I, I really like what I see from him. And, uh, you know, I was telling Jake before, one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk about him is if you're in a league with me, you have no chance because I already have him. Um, because I draft him everywhere. And it just because, you know, I, I love this kid. And I think that he really is going to shoot up rankings. And like Jake said, you know, some of those descriptions, you know, and I really urge everyone after listening to this, you know, take a look into him and, and watch some of these videos that are out here. I think he he's really going to explode on the scene. And, you know, like I said before, I mean, having him in center field and, and outfield with him and Bryce, I mean, in Philly, that gets me hot and bothered. And I can't wait to see it. Sounds good. Uh, I'm checking this now of all of the leagues that you are in with me, you own him. Oh, wow. How did I beat you to him in the Thanksgiving mock? You know, not, not, thanks for, thanks for hitting that, that Nate. That was a tough subject for me. And I think, <laughs> that, you know, immediately after you, uh, you picked him and you're very familiar at this point with the, the, the quick video I shared, it's a nice picture of Johan Rojas and has a, a crown spinning above his head. Uh, you know, for obvious reasons at this point. But I think I might have, you know, said like, wow, you really got that Johan Rojas pick. And, and you said like, how did you let him go this far? And it's a mock. You, you'll never, I know I don't want to say this and then see people drafting Johan Rojas and like the, the top 400 in drafts against me and, you know, trying to hold <laughs> me up for my first round picks and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it's a guy, you know, like I said earlier, you got to get your guys. I'm, you know, some of the guys I might even talk about a little later. It's just one of those guys I'm looking to get everywhere and before he shoots up really quickly. Yeah, and if you are listening to this and you are in a number of the leagues I run, he was not drafted. So go and get him, guys. Or if you're in the one that's drafting right now. Quick twitch, wiry athlete. Heed those words. <laughs> just to kind of put a bow on it, you know, he's 20 years old right now and you know, in, in 497 professional plate appearances, um, he's got 33 stolen bases and only four home runs, but I think the power could really come through. He has 38 extra base hits, 15 of which are triples. I mean, this kid has a 346 OBP and a 425 slugging. He's legit. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. Uh, we have now mentioned a maybe lesser known prospect from the Phillies system. And now at these fine gentlemen's idea, we're going to play a little game. I'm going to name a team from each division. And one of you will give me a prospect in that system. Who's not 
quite as well known that you think should be. So let's start not far from where you all are at. Go over to Queens with the Mets. Who is that prospect for you guys? Yeah, so I'm just going to swing a couple real quick. Uh, you know, the Mets, as you mentioned, close to home. Uh, big Stevie Cohen vibes from the Mets. Those are some big things in store for them. Uh, you know, the one more obvious that I'll mention is Francisco Alvarez. Uh, really strong hit tool and power potential from a catcher. You know, he's a bit of a ways away, but that's somebody you want to target in these dynasty leagues before he really blows up the rankings. A uh, couple of lesser known names, uh, Robert Dominguez, a big 6'5 pitcher, uh, recently signed. Uh, he's thrown heat. He was originally clocked, I think, around 95 to 97. When he signed, bulked up a little bit. Right away, he's touching 99. Uh, you know, if he develops another secondary pitch, he's got a 60 fastball, uh, ranked at a 55 curve. That could be really dangerous. Uh, one other Mets player I do want to mention, and this is a bit of an insider tip. This is from one of my friends uh, that has worked in the Mets organization, has, you know, seen them a bit closer. Uh, Stanley Consuegra, who is probably available in everybody's league that you'll be listening right now, unless you just did the 30 for 30 with me, because I did scoop him up towards the end. Uh, from, the, from the DR, he's an outfielder. Uh, but I've been told he's got some of the most impressive batting practices for a young player uh, in the Mets organization. So I definitely think that's something to keep an eye on, especially considering he hasn't played since 2018 due to injuries. So if you're in a really deep league, you're looking to jump on somebody, uh, take a look into Stanley Consuegra, see if he can pop off, uh, you know, in the beginning of next season or beyond. It's very generous of you to offer him up before the 30 Rock draft. <laughs> Now, there you go. I'm a man of the people. <laughs> okay. Now, just because I want to feel better about my team selling off all their good players, tell me about some Cubs prospects. So I'm going to take this here. Not quite as in-depth, but one Cubs prospect I really like is Chris Morrell. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a real toolsy third baseman. MLB.com currently has him ranked as the thir their 13th prospect, and I think you're going to see that um, you know, shoot up the boards and not too long. They have him as a 45 hit. But then they also got 55 power, 55 run, 60 arm, and 55 field. I mean, that, that, that's just tools. And especially with, you know, the way the Cubs have been moving their infield, he looks like he could get an opportunity. And then not, you know, we're looking 2022, but not too, too distant future. And I, I think he's someone that has a lot of upside in their system. One other name I want to mention, and, you know, he, he's a new Cub, and that's Ismael Mena. And I think he just has mm -hmm. a lot of upside. You know, he's very, very raw, and I think – you know, there was obviously a fair amount out on him in the past, but especially after the trade, you know, you saw some more write-ups on him. And I think, you know, MLB.com, for example, has him at a 50 hit, 70 run, you know, 60 field, 50 power, 55 arm. Um, and, you know, he's an already above average defender who has a talent for reading and picking up balls off the bat. And, you know, he's someone that, although very, very raw, and again, I know a lot of Cubs fans, you know, including yourself, you probably feel a certain way about you know, some of the trades they've made, but at the same time, <laughs> you can be happy that, you know, maybe it'll be in 2024, but you got a guy here who he's got a lot of tools and if the Cubs can develop him right, he could be a really special talent. Yeah. 70 run is no joke that they don't give those grades to everybody. So that should be impressive if you can develop that power. Big if, but yes. Or you just end up with Billy Hamilton. Woof. Okay. Uh, sliding over to the NL West, let's head down to the D-backs. What they got there. They got that great top, but who's someone a little lower down? 
Yeah, so I have a hitter and a pitcher. Uh, I guess in terms of overall prospect rankings, they're probably not towards the top, but I actually think these are two players, again, a hitter and pitcher that respectively can be towards the top uh, before they end up making their debuts in the show. Uh, one is Blake Walston. Uh, I'm all the way in on Blake Walston. I really do try to get him in every draft. Uh, I know people are catching on. It's you know a bit difficult because he doesn't have that much exposure in the league or his professional debut, but in 11 professional innings, he has 17 strikeouts. Uh, he's got a big fastball curveball combo, uh, both currently ranked 60 with slider and changeup to boot. Uh, I think he's really talented throwing hard fastballs, big lefty. I mean, these are the recipes, especially for a prospect pitcher, uh, where those are a bit less guaranteed for success. Uh, you'll like what you see if you take a look into Walston, and now is probably the time to acquire him. Uh, another player for like offense would be Jefferson Espino, uh, a big 18-year-old with present speed and contact tools. Uh, the Diamondbacks farm director has been quoted as calling him a man-child. So, I mean, in terms of <laughs> – You got to love that, right? Yeah, especially these international guys. You kind of never really know what you're going to get. Uh, but he's already put up some big speed numbers. And, again, somebody being described as a man-child, you can only assume there's a bit more power in that frame. Uh, power projections make him an all-around five-tool talent. So, again, you know, even in a system with the Diamondbacks, they have Christian Robinson. Uh, they have a lot towards the top, as you had mentioned. Uh, these are still some guys getting a little less attention right now that could really be towards the top of that system by the time uh, it, it's their numbers are called. Yeah, I hope you are right on Walston. Uh, I'm co-managing a TDBC team with Chris Clegg right now, and we're getting towards the end of the draft, and we took him 721. So hopefully he pops. It, uh, I am right, and that was tremendous value. So props to you and Clegg. That's great, guys. <laughs> Yeah, that was all Chris. He was the one who brought him up. But yep. I also think Blake Boston's going to be really good. Great. Okay, let's swing up into the AL and North. Let's talk about the Mariners. We know the top of that team's farm system is stacked. But what's right. a little bit further down? Yeah, so, so this is Matt. One guy I'm going to talk about who's a guy I also have in a lot of the leagues that we're in is Sam Carlson. And I think, <coughs> excuse me, he's a guy who's been kind of hurt in the past with the injury bug. Uh, the Mariners drafted him in the second round in 2017. You know, he had Tommy John surgery in July, 2018. Uh, but I think they got a steal where they got him. And the thing with Carlson is you have to be patient. I, I've seen some comps that are kind of comparing him to um, a Chris Paddock where he was injured and then he kind of broke out um, into a really good pitcher. And Carlson does have this good pedigree. He's only pitched three innings professionally. Um, he had a really good fastball before the injury. That's something that, you know, obviously it's going to take some time to build him back up to full speed now that, you know, he's throwing again. But if he can get that fastball back to where it was, uh, MLB.com's got him at a 60-grade fastball, a 50-grade slider, and a 55 changeup. So if he can really get that fastball changeup combo going, I think he's going to be a really key pitcher, you know, potentially number two starter upside for the Mariners going forward. And I also think, in dynasty leagues, this is a really good buying opportunity because of the fact that he was hurt and is now getting healthy and starting to throw again. And I think you know, the more he throws and the more people are, are going to see him out there, I think his stock is going to continue to rise. So that, that's someone to look out for. And especially given the fact that he's already 22 years old, though he does have this injury history, he could be a quick riser through their system and be contributing for the Mariners sooner rather than later. A, a few other quick names I wanted to, to mention in a bit less detail. Jonathan Clays. He's a stud. Uh, it's straight up 
they said he's added more weight. He's looking like his power could be up. We all know how quick he is. Um, he's a really young guy, but I think there's a lot of upside there. Same for George Felice. I think he's really good. Um, a young guy that they could have a lot of upside in. And also uh, one more pitcher, Isaiah Campbell. I think he's someone you can keep an eye on there, and uh, he could be shooting up their rankings in a short time as well. Awesome. So back to the AL. Well, not to the back to the AL. Back to the Central in the AL. Kansas City. What are we looking at there? All right. So I'm going to take this one also. Uh, one player who I actually was pretty bummed about that I missed in the, the recent 30 for 30 draft. And that's, I think, just a lack of kind of paying attention and trying to focus on, you know, getting certain positions at that point in the draft as opposed to, you know, who is still there. And, and that's Brady McConnell, uh, the shortstop for the Royals. He's a real toolsy player. He's a little bit older. He's 22 years old. Uh, there does seem to be a bit of a hole in his swing. He's, he's got some swing and miss problems, needs to work out. But again, just, you know, going back to the, the report card, he's got a 50-grade hit, 50-grade power, 60-grade run, and, and 55 arms. So I think, you know, the, the tools are there. And again, he's a 22-year-old that, that's really versatile, and he, I'm, I'm a sucker for power speed. So I, I think if he's someone that can kind of get the hit together, he could be a, a pretty high upside option for them. Someone else that I like uh, for the Royals is Nick Lofton. I know he was drafted recently. I'm a sucker for these players. I mean, it kind of reminds me of a, a, a Nick Madrigal almost to the sense that he's a really good contact. He's got some speed, not that much power. But, you know, I like those guys that really aren't going to strike out too much. They're going to get you some walks. Uh, if you're in an OBP league, they could be a real good contributor. And, and I, I think someone, you know, these kind of middle of the diamond guys who got some upside are good to watch. That's in addition to, you know, the, the high profile pitchers they have and the Eric Pena's that they have in their system. Yeah, perfect. And Corporal Eddie, if you are listening, you now have someone to shop Brady McConnell to. Because he's the one who oh, took him 30 for 30. Uh-oh. <laughs> always up to no good. Uh-oh. I know, I should, we're going to get a DM in a few minutes. Because <laughs> he's listening to us record before yeah. it drops, for sure. Uh, okay. Um, I felt it was only fair for the AL East team to be the Yankees. So, gentlemen... Bring it home. Indeed. Uh, and I'm just going to touch on a Mariner real quick, a bit deeper. Uh, Zach Deloche. Uh, that's an impressive young outfielder. He, even though was just drafted, has some experience playing well with a wooden bat in the Cape Cod League. So I think that's a name to keep an eye on. Uh, he can get off to a hot start. And, you know, we've seen what this Mariner system can do with outfielders. But uh, in terms of the Yankees, uh, one player I'm really keeping an eye on that I have tried to acquire in as many leagues as possible would be Michael Escoto. Uh, he has, or has had what I like to call the three, four, five, uh, meaning even in a limited time in 45 games last year, he hit 315, 429, 552. Uh, and again, 45 games, eight home runs and 13 steals. Uh, so this is massive raw upside for a young middle infielder and actually has experience playing second, third and short. So that's a lot of versatility, a lot of speed, a lot of power. Um, and the Yankees are increasingly looking like a team that prioritizes this farm development with these players. And, you know, if he's going to be uh, a recipe of that, I'm looking forward to seeing not only what he can be uh, with that increased development, but he really just has all the raw tools necessary uh, to reach that upside. So this could be a really intriguing player for somebody like the Yankees, which, again, sometimes... Uh, people just think that they're going to go out and sign the biggest and baddest players. No, they're growing them. And Escoto is definitely one of them to keep an eye on. 
Yeah, they haven't signed Cole and LeMayhew or any of those guys lately. So, Well, if you want to think about when they did sign LeMayhew, they did retain him. So I think that's a little bit different than the Cole, which is obviously – we, we could talk about the Yankees forever. I have my gripes. And, but... and we could talk about the, you know, the baby bombers as well with Glaber and Judge and Gary Sanchez. And, you know, some of the guys over the past few years, the Yankees have really brought up some solid. We do talent. not talk about Glaber on this podcast. Oh, man. Well, the G word. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah the Yankees are doing some good things. And, you know, again, I'm excited when baseball comes back. And I, I, I like the Kluber signing as well. You know, we uh, – we have family from Ohio, as we may have mentioned. So, you know, I've always had a, a liking for Kluber. So, you know, hopefully he's healthy and excited to see what he could do and, and hopefully fortifying the Yankees' rotation behind Cole. Yeah, yeah. They're doing some really good things out there, for better or for worse. Um, any other prospects on teams we didn't talk about that you guys just have to mention here? Yeah, so I got to get a word in on Roberto Campos. Um it's funny that it seems like a lot of people don't talk about him. Again, this is an international signing. So, you know, it's here and there who's going to talk about him. It almost seems like out of, based on reports, the Tigers kind of hid him from a lot of organizations uh, after getting an eye on him very young, they kind of like fostered their relationship with him before signing. And uh, they, you know, they got him. He's a monster of a kid. Uh, he's got a lot of power for an outfielder and, uh, just to see the kind of players uh, that have these meteoric rises in farm systems. I mean, I think Roberto Campos has the story, again, that he was so highly touted. The, uh, the Tigers kind of sheltered him from this outside world as to bring him in when the time was right. And uh, he's going to really produce, I, I feel, uh, in his professional career. A name to keep an eye on. I speak very highly of him already. Of course, that's a lot of projection because there's not much of a sample size. At, at all to base it on but that's where you kind of have to call these guys out if you want to get these massive raw upside guys you know uh call your shots and you get those guys and i think roberto's campo roberto campos excuse me is absolutely one of them great anybody else yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just i'm gonna add to that uh, one guy that i think you should also keep an eye on is eddie diaz in the colorado rockies system i mean Again, this might have been a Corona League thing when I was looking at some younger guys along with Johan Rojas, of course. Uh, and I looked in him and this guy, Eddie Diaz, I mean, in 479 at-bats, he has 104 steals. I mean, obviously that's not sustainable, but speed like that is real. And a speed like that is, is going to carry the guy. Um, you know, MLB.com has him at a, a 65 run. And obviously, you know, as of right now, there isn't much power in his bat. But when you watch videos of him, he has some really impressive bat speed. And if he can, you know, keep that quick bat speed up, you don't really need much power from someone like that who, you know, he, he also gets on base at a really impressive clip. He has in, in those 479 at-bats, he's got a 317 average and a 397 OBP. So if he's going to get on base like that, you don't need him to hit homers because he's going to get on base and he's going to steal bags and Again, in Colorado makes everybody better, so you never know. And, you know, this is a kid that we're talking about, probably not coming up until like 2023, but definitely one to keep your eye on. Just got to be careful with the Colorado youngsters. Hopefully they turn it around because they have a lot of talent like Diaz up in the pipeline that, you know, we as prospect fans would love to see thrive, especially in cores because it will boost their value. So he's definitely one of them that are coming. But, you know, as you've seen in the past couple of years, the Rockies kind of got to get their heads on straight when it comes on to playing these young guys. Or sure 
Garrett Hampson shout out there. <laughs> yep. Uh, oh, man. I drafted him recently in um, 30 Rock or 30 for 30. So I'm hoping that. Yeah, I actually have him in 30 Rock. So we're dominating shares here. If you want him, Eric, yeah, him. Eric, if you have any interest, come get him. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, anything else you guys want to plug, talk about uh, as we wrap it up here? Yeah, I mean, I just want to thank you for the opportunity again. It's always good to talk baseball. I know that we communicate regularly through Twitter, but obviously it's great to be able to speak to you in this fashion. Uh, just a quick little plug. I know that I had mentioned uh, a bit earlier, I do have uh, the Rays 2021 Top 50. Uh, Bailey and I are working on that. That's going to drop. Uh, I believe it is uh, going to be on Friday the 29th. I don't exactly know when this pod's going to drop. So, uh, you know, whether it's sooner or whatever that uh, definitely keep an eye out for that uh, working really hard to just give you guys great content and uh, appreciate you guys listening. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And, and you know, this is Matt, uh, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here. You know, this is my first pod, but you know, I love baseball. I love fantasy baseball. Jake and I talk it all the time. Uh, so it was really cool to have a platform like this to, you know, just have a conversation with you, you know, one of the, the great guys in the fantasy baseball industry and you know, I keep doing all these drafts and, you know, we'll keep being in them and it just keep talking baseball and giving the people what they want. It's a lot of fun. You're a man of the people, Nate. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I think my favorite is when I say I'm doing a mock and I just get a DM from one of you of just like you know an emoji or a GIF of just like, yeah, you know, we're in send us the link. It's a package deal, especially with those mocks. You're, you know, you know, one spot is as good as two there. Pretty much. I just kind of bank on you 2 and Cubby being in pretty much all of them at this point. Let's so. say take your league sizes and minus them by two because you know that we're always in. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Thanks again for joining, guys. This has been great. Great time. Thanks, Nate. You got it, Nate. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to The Commissioner's Office. Before we wrap it up, some final housekeeping. We are currently filling up a 14-team head-to-head category dynasty. So let me know if you want to join that. And as always, if there is a specific type of league you would like, I can build it. Don't forget to follow Jake at Gator Sosa and Matt at Matty Dubs on Twitter. Links to those accounts are in the show notes below. Gator has also been on point in the 30 Rock chat in breaking trades and projections, like today, when he thought Tyone would get traded. And he did, though not to the Rays. And one of the prospects that the Pirates got back, Jake also talked about. Keep an eye out for Jake's Rays rankings dropping later this week. You can follow me at Dynasty One Stop and see everything Fantasy Commission related there. Feel free to email or DM me any questions about the league or about anything else fantasy baseball. And I will be back soon with another great guest. Finally, please remember to rate and review the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And you can support the podcast through the link in our show notes. That's all from the Commissioner's Office. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane and always read the Constitution. Mm-hmm.